A Nazi U-boat sailor was apprehended in Augensburg, New York, which actually inspired a movie, The One That Got Away. This is a wild story with some local ties. I'm pretty excited to say this, but either way, I'm Matt. And I'm Zach. And this is Your Town Podcast. So what we're going to do is we're going to take you back um, before the United States entered World War II. The people of Augsburg were met with a pretty unusual guy, which led to a pretty interesting uh, story. Some might even say with a Hollywood type ending. And I know you've heard the story, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I honestly didn't hear this story until I started researching it. Like uh, there was a local news channel, seven channel, seven news, yep. WWNY TV apparently did this article in 2022. I didn't see it then. I don't have TV, but as you read into this, it just is absolutely wild. A lot of history in here. And I'm excited that this is the first one. So uh, what do you think? Want to do the thing? Yeah, let's jump right into it, my guy. All right, let's do this here. So the story begins with a notorious Nazi lieutenant fighter pilot who had his plane shot down in September of 1940 over Britain and was captured. So this pilot was the only Axis prisoner of war to escape from Canadian custody and return to Germany apart from a U-boat seaman, Walter Kurt Reich, which I love how all these articles are like, he's the only one that's ever done this. Well, except for this guy. But I don't know. So these guys pretty good but who is this guy the guy's name is franz xavier baron von wera pretty cheerful holy cow so what was interesting about this von wera and his sister were actually given to a childless friend of their parents so that they could enjoy the benefits of wealth and education the von habers who actually took them in they didn't even tell the kids the true story of the origin I don't know if you knew that, but that was pretty wild. That's pretty. Yeah, that's uh, that's nuts. They hit hard times. Uh, The parents were business owners. I think they had like six kids and apparently they were like six kids is too many. Let's Mm -hmm. let's just go ahead and uh, give one away to a friend that just doesn't have any kids. So that was pretty nice. Good people. But not good people because, you know, they're not. I mean, yeah, eventually it became went on to be Nazis. But, you know, in 1936, that was a pretty good, you know, that was a pretty good run. Yeah. You you couldn't really complain about that. Yep. So, uh, so Wera joined the Luftwaffe. Uh, is that how you say that? Luftwaffe. Yeah. I'm going to let you say the German words because I can barely speak Luftwaffe in 1936 and was commissioned a lieutenant in 1938. At the beginning of the Second World War, he was serving with Jagdeschwader. Mm-hmm. Three in the Battle of France. I can say the three part. Uh, this is why we're a good team here. And uh, he was described as an engaging and boisterous playboy behavior. He was once pictured in the press with his pet lion Simba, which he kept the uh, aerodome as the unit mascot. So it's kind of bad foreshadowing, though. You right. Know, but uh, the dude has the swag to have a pet lion. That is swag. That is swag. That was swag before Tyson did it. Playboys. Maybe that's where Tyson got it from. Maybe. So Von Wera was awarded the Knight's Cross of the Iron Cross on the 14th of December 1940. The Knight's Cross of the Iron Cross, or simply the Knight's Cross, was the highest award in the military and paramilitary forces of Nazi Germany during World War II. With the outbreak of World War II on the 1st of September 1939, Adolf Hitler, in his role of Commander-in-Chief of the German Armed Forces, D decreed the renewal of the Iron Cross in 1939. So there was a new grade of the Iron Cross in this whole thing. So either way, Hitler brought it back. It was it was something that was in the late 1800s, early 1900s. He brought it back 
in this war. And, uh, you know, obviously he was awarded one of those. And apparently their slogan was one people, one nation, one leader. Yeah. 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 How would those guys, but either way, why I tell you about the iron cross is because it's going to be a little bit part of the story and a little bit later on it's going to come back so that's why i want to just when we mention it later you're not what the hell is this thing why is it important now you know right all right let's let's talk about where the story starts to get a little more interesting uh on on the 5th of september 1940 he was flying a bf 109 e4 it's an airplane i don't really know much about your word for it yeah uh and it was shot down over winchette hill in kent it's unclear who was responsible for this victory uh there was like three or four different people that actually were like, yeah, I shot it down. And victory apparently is what it's called when you shoot down an airplane. Yeah, you get like a little, you get like a little badge on your plane. I think. Yeah, you get. Yeah. I didn't know that it was called the victory. That's pretty cool. That's kind of cool. So, all right. So, Wera crashed, landed in a field on Love's Farm, and was captured by the unarmed cook of a uh, nearby army unit. He was initially held in Maidstone Barracks by the Queen's Own Royal West which is pretty wild, the, uh, the the regiment out there from which he attempted his first escape, his first one. So there's no mention of this escape uh, attempt in the book, The One That Got Away. Spoiler alert, that could even be the name of the movie. He was mm-hmm. interrogated for 18 days at the London District Prisoner of War cage, eventually where it was sent to the Prisoner of War Camp number 1, at uh, what is it, was that Grisdale? I would say Grisdale, yeah. Grisdale Hall. Just keep in mind that we don't speak fluent German, so some of these words we're gonna pronounce wrong. Well, I think that's in England, but or English, German. Yeah, English is hard. <sighs> and I'm not even sure I'm saying his name right. Vera. It might be von Vera. Von Vera. Von Vera. We're gonna say a yeah. couple of ways to make sure at least we have it covered. So yeah. von Vera. Send us a voicemail. Von Vera. Von Vera. That's the same guy. Still kind of a dirtbag. But either way, uh, really good pilot, apparently. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so he was interrogated 18 days and uh, there. And then pre-1974 is when this was uh, Lanchester, Lancashire. Yeah, it was a cool place over there between Lancashire? Windmere and Caniston Water. So if you're good at geography, it's over there. That's where he was there. But either way, it, it's all relevant. We'll keep moving. On the 7th of October, he tried to escape, not for the first time, but the second time during a daytime walk outside of the camp at a regular stop while a fruit cart provided a lucky diversion and another German prisoner covered for him. Von Wera or Wera slipped over a dry stone wall into a field. The guards alerted the local farmers at the home guard on the evening of October 10th, three, day later, three days later at around 11 p.m., two home guards found him sheltered from the rain in a hogarth. Which do you know what Hogarth is? Um, no, I'm assuming it's a small stone hut used for storing sheep fodder that is common in the area. That's that's a great assumption. Yeah, great assumption. Uh, so he he was removed from the hut. Apparently, he was caught up with some sheep, and he knocked the lamp to the ground, extinguishing the light. Then he quickly escaped and disappeared into the night. So, I'm going to count that as escape number three. So he escaped number three. Then on the twelfth. He was spotted climbing a fell. The area was surrounded, and Wera or Vera was eventually found almost immersed in a muddy depression in the ground. He was sentenced to 21 days of solitary confinement. And on the 3rd of November, he was transferred to Camp Number 13 in Derbyshire, also known as the Hayes Camp. Okay, so they got him more solitaire. I'm just going to assume that moving him once again proved to be a poor idea. You would think so, yeah. Like, and I don't know why they thought it was a good idea, but they kept moving him, and then he just... Just keep him in solitary. He's right in solitary. Keep him in solitary. 
that's what you would think. I don't know, but these guys are professionals and he's really good at not only working the system, but getting people to kind of do the dirty work for him. So uh, camp number 13, he joined a group calling itself Swanwick Tiffbow Tiff AG. Uh, which was digging an escape tunnel. The tunnel can still be seen at the Hayes Conference Center on December 17, 1940. After a month's digging, it was then complete. All right. So then three days later on the 20th of December, he and four others slipped out of the tunnel under the cover of an anti-aircraft fire in the singing of the camp choir. The others were uh, recaptured very quickly. Not him. He proceeded alone. He had taken along his flying suit and decided to masquerade as Captain Van Lott, a Dutch Royal Netherlands Air Force pilot. He told the friendly locomotive driver that he was a down bomber pilot trying to reach his unit and has to be taken to the nearest RAF base. All right. So he had the hindsight to bring the uniform. Do I know what's interesting about that? I do. He could impersonate a Dutch pilot, I bet, because there's this weird thing with Dutch and German. Where I believe it is the um, the Dutch can read and understand German, but Germans can't read and understand Dutch. Interesting. Yeah, there's one way it goes one of those two ways. But yeah, one of the languages can understand the other, but it's not the other way around. And he's a Vaughn. This guy was a Vaughn. Yeah. Let's see if it worked out yeah. for him. So he was at the he was at a railroad station, the Codnor Park Railroad Station. Local clerk kind of became suspicious, but eventually agreed to arrange the transportation to the uh, aerodome at RAF Hucknall near Nottingham. The police also questioned him, but he convinced them that he was harmless. He asked for they asked for credentials, and he claimed to be based at Dice near Aberdeen. While Boniface went to check his story, he excused himself and ran to the nearest hangar, trying to tell a mechanic that he was cleared for a test flight. Uh, they arrived just in time to arrest him at gunpoint as he sat in the cockpit, trying to learn the controls. He was then sent back to Hayes Camp under armed guard. Maybe the Hayes Camp just isn't for him. Yeah. Maybe, like, I don't know, send him to Scotland Yard. They've got they've got to have, like, a, 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 a cage. You know what they decided to do? They thought, hey, we're not going to do this. He's done with Hayes Camp. In January 1941, him and many other German prisoners were sent to Canada on the SS Duchess of York in a convoy departing Greenock on January 10th, 1941, guarded by HMS Ramilies, among other. All right. So this is where it starts to get good and a little more personal to uh, to our area. So he was then taken to he was supposed to be taken to a camp on the north shore of Lake Superior, Ontario. So he began to plan his escape on the United or to the United States because this we were still neutral at the time. Mm -hmm. All right. So he sells the buttons on his uniform, his iron cross, see how it cycles back and anything else he had on him. So that way he could, you know, have some money because he's planning this escape and obviously he's going to need money for essentials. So on the 21st of January, while on a prison train that had departed from Montreal, he has the other passengers distract the guards, again, getting people to do the dirty work. He then just jumps out the window of a moving train and ends up near Smith Falls, Ontario, which is 30 miles from the St. Lawrence River. Keep in mind, if, if, if people listening locally, you're going to understand what it's like in January mm -hmm. up here. People that might be listening anywhere else, it's super cold. It sucks. Uh, think Antarctica. Think Alaska minus the polar bears. Super cold, super shitty. And now this guy just jumped out of a moving train, which initially I thought, how did he survive jumping from a moving train? Well, most moving trains uh, back then were like, 15 20 mile an hour max so i mean if you're going 15 20 miles an hour jump out maybe you know big snowbank 
yeah, hit a snowbank or even maybe, you know, I mean, he he's probably, he's a pilot. He knows how to probably land properly in a crash. Train wasn't a big deal for him, but what's about to happen, it starts to become a bigger deal. So seven other prisoners tried to escape from the same train, but they were recaptured. Again, he gets out with a bunch of people. They all get caught. He doesn't. So, but the, the, the more impressive part, they didn't even know he wasn't there until the next afternoon. So he's already got a huge leg up on this 30 mile trek because obviously he now has to cross the river to get to the U S and be safe. So obviously it's cold in January. Uh, He's in Canada and he trudges dozens and dozens of miles, approximately 30 miles, finds the St. Lawrence river. He knows he needs to get there. He thinks it's frozen, but as he quickly realizes it's not, he walks through there, not totally frozen. And then for and for for context here, the St. Lawrence River at most points in this area, we're talking a mile plus wide. Yeah, like this isn't like this isn't like a quick hop skip forward the river. We're talking over a mile of completely unkept, untamed, snow covered ice. Yeah, you're not, and it's not going to freeze all the way across because no. it is a pretty quick river, and you're not going to swim it this time of the year and the current is so fast that if he started say in smith falls he's going to end up who knows how many miles if he makes it actually Not i bet you cares. i bet you at this time it was still rapids at that at those spots because i don't think the rapids got dug out until after the war yeah which is woo. so i don't think rapids freeze no so then he says all right how am i going to get across this river he then naturally steals a punt which is a flop flat bottom boat kind of like a rowboat but he doesn't have any oars. So obviously he couldn't uh, do the oars. So what he did is he walked the boat as far as he could on the ice, got into the boat on the water, and he got across using his hands as paddles. Which is insane. Like I remember walking around town in this area around this time as a kid, like going to McDonald's, going to the store, getting getting a soda or whatever. And like you step in a puddle and your sneakers get wet and you're trying to walk around up here and it could be a nice day. You're freezing yeah. by the time you get home. Like yeah. it is just something about certain times of year up here where the wind is nasty. Everything is wet, but freezing cold at the same time. So the thought that this guy is doggy paddling on a bass boat across the St. Lawrence in the middle of what was it? January, January. Yep. No, thank you. Yeah, absolutely not. And let's be honest. It, it's not a bass boat. I mean, it's in the forties, well, yeah. a punt. Uh, I mean, he, he's got, he's in a very little, I mean, a bass boat probably would have been better in a little bit. I'm a Google what a punt looks like. And it, it's just kind of like a John boat, like a flat bottom, just small little boat. So either way, he's in this boat paddling oh, okay. by hands, but because obviously it's sub-zero temperatures, the water is frigid. Mm-hmm. He gets frostbite on his hands, his ears, and the suffering anywhere that he had exposure. His lips are swollen. He is in terrible terrible shape so he ends up making it across near the state hospital in augensburg and uh obviously there's some attention that is being there and and what's pretty wild is there's even people to this day that are still coming across shore and Mm -hmm. getting attention on this river but there was a local mechanic named alan i'm gonna say crites is that how you would say it c-r-i-t-e-s crites my my brain is telling me it was just crites but i can see crites too Let's go Kreitz. If there's any Kreitz in the area, call into the show, correct us. Yeah, if if your grandfather, great, 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 great grandfather, or yep. an uncle or cousin name is Alan Kreitz, please let us know. And uh, he's working late near the state hospital. And then he thinks, I think this guy's a border jumper. I think he crossed illegally. He actually has no idea, allegedly, that this is a Nazi pilot. 
So naturally, he says, hey, I'm a charming guy. I'm in rough shape. Asks for a ride into town. He's, uh, you know, Kreitz is suspicious. But apparently, he gave him a ride. Why not? It's the 40s. What really bad happens then? So he gets them to the corner of Ford and Patterson. Busy intersection here in town. Pretty busy, which, uh, shout out Sully's Tavern. Shout, shout out Sully's. Sully's Tavern. Not yep. sure if Sully's was there or what it was in the 40s. If I anybody... bet you those pool tables are still there at that time. Though. Probably. Yeah. Maybe it was, I'm going to say it was Bob's Tavern. I don't know what it is, but I'd love See, any. My local history always failed me. I didn't realize Sully's was Bob's. I'm not sure. I think I remember oh. Bob's. Oh, I have no idea. I don't know either. But somebody figure out the, that is big into the Augensburg bar scene in history. Let us know what Sully's was before Sully's because he was right there. Von Wera. Von Vera, whatever yeah. we're going to call him, probably a cousin of Vera Bradley, was dropped right on that corner. So they just let him out. So he goes right to City Hall, Kreitz does, and reports the mystery man. Now, apparently it wasn't a real hard capture because he had no idea where to go. You know what I mean? He was even just still on the corner. I mean, how can you escape three times different countries and then you just stand in Augsburg on Ford and Patterson and just... Oh, wait, because he fro- he was frozen. Yeah. yeah. And that's an old part of town. It's not like at this time that wouldn't have been a developed area. Mm-hmm. Like, just, I don't know, man, just like go down Patterson Street. I say it's easy for us. I mean, he did just trek 30 miles and rode across the river. With I guess hands. we'll give him a pass. The jig is up anyways. Uh, he was taken into custody and he went to Hepburn Hospital for his frostbite. So um, that dump of a hospital, Claxton Hepburn Medical Center, back in the day, had this guy in his facility, and then, all right, here we go. He was taken into custody, and then he demanded a lawyer because he obviously knew he was in trouble, and the judge was like, all right, we have the best lawyer in town, and he's Jewish, and then he refused to let this guy represent him. Shocking. Yeah. So during this time, the people of Augsburg didn't know much about the Nazis that and everything that was kind of happening in Germany. Obviously, technology, not quite obviously not anywhere near what it is today. So they were curious about him. They even invited him to the Elks Club dinner. He gets cleaned up, gets a haircut, new clothes, starts chatting it up with the locals. Everybody was like, he's a charming guy. He's funny. He's good looking, probably has a couple you know, relatives over here. He probably, what are the odds? He probably made a kid, if you, you know what I'm saying? Probably. Probably did. And uh, he's the new person in town, you know, but really he was an escaped prisoner. And a lot of people were very curious about this guy, but not everybody was fooled by his charm. The mayor at the time, Francis Burns, wanted him jailed. The mayor just kind of stood up to the people, even though, you know, I guess that's what a mayor does. Even current mayors, allegedly, people don't really like, and he just stands up to him. <laughs> but the mayor was like, no, he's not who he is. He's not a cool guy. He's a Nazi. That, which is fair. Now, let's let's suspend mm-hmm. the narrative real quick. Mm-hmm. Let's take this moment and put it in present time. Okay. Okay. First off, imagine if a guy in the middle of January washes up at the state hospital today. Okay. He's not going to find a guy working late as a mechanic. Mm-mm. He's going to find a prison guard on duty, or he's going to find some dude smoking a lefty listening to music in the car. Probably. Yep. All right. Yep. Let's say the guy's smoking lefties, bring him to town. Or he'll see some ice fishermen. Or he'll see some ice fishermen. Those will not, there'd be no safe harbor there, I don't think. I think think the ice fishermen would be probably the worst of the people he could run into. Mm -hmm. Best case scenario, teenagers smoking jays, listening to the dirty heads. Mm -hmm. But say he gets a ride into town. Yep. Okay. Goes to Sully's. Goes to Sully's. Still safe. Still safe. But imagine the scene. If this guy with frostbite and a burnt up face walked in the wing night of the Elks Lodge. 
I mean, they're probably just going to say, what's this method doing here? That's fair, too. You know, uh, allegedly there's a lot of that in town. But it, either way, it's pretty cool, too, that not only is, you know, the Ford Street Patterson, you know, which is a very busy intersection in town, but the Elks Lodge, which is still around there, there's some place, some people kind of, you know, say a lot of bad things about Hongsburg. There were, there's some rich history in this town, and, you know, some of the people were fooled by this guy. But pretty interesting that he was at the Elk Lodge. I mean, we, you, I've been at the Elk Lodge. I've got beers and yeah. Everybody's been there. And so is this guy. That's how popular is that. Yeah. So, He's got a brick on the wall. Does he? I hope not. We'll have to read that. Well, uh, anybody at the Elks, let me know if he's got a brick. That'd be a bad look for you. Maybe take that brick out. But <laughs> either way, out. Uh, he ended up getting charged by the immigration authorities for entering the country illegally. And then obviously he was able to get a hold of the local German consul who paid his bail. He then came to the attention of the press and told them a very embellished version of his story. While the U.S. and Canadian authorities were negotiating his extradition. Did I say that right? Extradition. Yeah. I spelled it wrong, so I said it wrong. Anyways, the German vice consul then helps him get out of, from Canada. Not, I mean, he was already in Canada, got to the U.S. Then the German vice consul gets him to Mexico. He then proceeds to go from Mexico, Rio de Janeiro, which is in Brazil, Barcelona, which is in Spain. Then he gets to Rome. Then he finally gets back to Germany, April 18th, 1941, just a couple of months later. That's... Whole stop though. Okay. What judge allows him to be in a position where he can make bond or bail? Yeah. I... You you know you have a a war criminal, mm-hmm. but you know what? Let's put him out on bail. Let's let's give him bail. There has to be some kind of confusion. I mean, anytime you're dealing with international stuff in the U.S. and Canada and the authorities, how they were going to say, they were probably arguing who gets to make the the arrest, who gets to be the hero, who gets to be in the paper. And then while they're all doing that, this German, I want to know how the German vice consul is able to just get him into Mexico. I don't know. I mean, I I don't understand Mexico. South America, I can understand. I don't. I don't understand Mexico. Probably, maybe, maybe they're chummier than I thought back then. I'm not sure. Probably easy to get. I mean, it's much easier to get you know into Mexico than just kind of work your way down and around and over. And he did it. He, he did it. Hey man, you know he won. So he gets to Germany, and now he's a hero. Adolf Hitler then awards him the Knight's Cross. You know that we talked about the Iron yep. Cross. Then he was assigned the task of improving German techniques for interrogating captured pilots. Well, because he had some experience with the British system. So then he reported to the German high command how he had been treated as a prisoner of war. And this caused an improvement in the treatment of allied prisoners of war in Germany. He then writes a book about it um, titled uh, Mein Flucht aus England. Yep, my escape from England is what it translates to. Although it did remain unpublished, which is kind of a bummer. I mean, not that, not that him and the family should get any money, but I, I bet you it would do pretty well. And I mean, spoiler alert: he wrote it, so we know what happens at the end. Yeah, but imagine the de- maybe we'd finally find out how the German consul got him into Mexico and why Mexico. We would know if he was a ranch guy or a blue cheese guy. And from I could time at the Elks Lodge. I probably wouldn't read it, and it'd be in German. It'd be really hard to read. It's true. So there, here we are on October 25th, 1941. He took off on a practice flight because then he was in, he was given a new role in the army. He was given like a squad and everything. So they were just going to go on a routine practice flight where, you know what I mean? They just, just to kind of patrol, just test out some stuff. Then his aircraft suffered engine failure and he crashed into a sea uh, near 
Ketwich. I, I don't know what that says. Okay, we're going to go with that. K-A-T-W-I-J-K. J-K. He's just kidding. Ketwich. So he was presumed kill, although they never found the body. Maybe I'm he gonna, escaped again. That's what I'm saying. I, I'm, what? Spoiler alert. I'm thinking that something happened. He planned this whole thing, crashed, parachuted out, has a great life, had a great life on an island anywhere. But mm-hmm. what's even more amazing is this entire story was the subject of a 1957 film, the one that got away. So as all of this was happening, there was a ton of film crew in Ogdensburg and obviously surrounding areas, wanting details, shooting this movie. I haven't seen it yet. It did star Hardy Krueger. Probably not related to Jason or Freddy, any of those, you know, horror movie guys. But, uh, hey, he was in there. The film also was based on a book by Kendall Burt and James Lezor, published in 1956. So, obviously, book to movie. And then there was a documentary called Von Vera, or Von Vera, with clips from the one that got away. And it was it was released in the 2000s. That's wild. That is pretty crazy. I mean, it's it's just a wild story, and I think it's really cool that this stuff happened in a town. I've I've lived in this area most of my life. You've lived in this area yeah, pretty most, much your whole life, pretty too. Pretty much my whole life, too, yeah. And neither of us really knew the details of this, and I think it's, you know, it had to be episode one. And yeah. there's going to be a ton of other stories, not only about Augensburg and the surrounding areas here, but a little farther down in the state of New York. We even have one that was already submitted by our buddy Brandon from Iowa. And we'd love it if you have stories about your town. We want to hear your stories and we want to, you know, bring these in, whether it's season one, season two. So uh, quick little shout out to obviously where we got our research, Wikipedia. Obviously, we mentioned the article by WWNYTV that uh, featured Augensburg historian Julie Madlin, which uh, there was a couple of details in there that really made this story a little bit better. So shout out to you guys. And what we're going to do at the end of it is we're going to leave you guys with a little quote that kind of has everything to do about this episode. So Zach, if you want to read the all-empowering quote of the day from this. And uh, after that, we're, we're done with this. We're going to leave with a quote, and we're going to say our goodbyes. Thanks for listening. It's a, it makes you wonder what Von Wera, you know, what, maybe he read some books. Maybe he was into early American history. Because uh, as, the, as the late, great Benjamin Franklin once said, energy and persistence conquer all things. And for a guy, Von Wera, the only thing he could not conquer through persistence and energy uh was engine failure on his aircraft and that was a bummer for him but hey thanks for tuning in episode one uh we'll see you next time right matt yeah we'll see you next time you know what we're gonna we're gonna do a thing we're gonna see an episode two and we can't look you just look in the links or if you're if you're just listening and there is no link just feel free to give us an email at your town pod at gmail.com i think it is or matt at beardlaws.com producers at beardlaws.com matt at yourtown.com Instagram, Twitter, it's all over there. If Mm -hmm. you can't find somewhere to let us know, then you just truly don't want to. But uh, send us your stories, and we can't wait to uh, do this again. All right, that's all we got. Okay, bye. Bye.